Welcome back to another episode of Your Sports Show, episode 102. I am your host, Big Baby, a.k.a. the soul of R&B. And to my right, we have the queen, Queen Tay. What's going on, sis? What's going on, everybody? Apologies for not being on camera today. Sis is tired. Yeah. I'm the hardest working woman in the business. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah. you. So how's your, how's your week, man? Oh, well. I guess everybody's trying to wondering where everybody else is at before I jump that. Uh, Matt is at work. Pete is on his way on shortly. So, uh, but Queen, how was your week? It is just so funny how Matt is at work. The episode where I'm going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and how trash that team is, given the fact that for the past well almost two seasons or, or uh, at least a season and a half, y'all was talking about how we was gonna have. Um, Ticket tape parades on Flatbush, Flatbush Avenue. Avenue with dollar vans and and beef patties. <laughs> last year they went down in second round town, and this time they got swept in the first round. So, um, I really feel like me and Stephen A. Smith don't align on a lot of things, but when he says that, you know, Kyrie Irving is one of the most delusional athletes in history. I am in total alignment with that. His resume without LeBron is looking really sketchy and really shady right now for people to say he needs to be in discussions for the greatest or one of the greats. You know what I'm saying? One of the very goods? Yes. One of the greats? No. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that. I think that um, his record without LeBron has been super shaky between his stop in um, Boston and, and Brooklyn. And the one common denominator seems like he's been the problem in the locker room, unfortunately. But it's been um, the, the whole Kyrie Irving thing is, is just is convoluted. It's We're gonna messy. jump right into it. It's messy. It's yeah. distracting. You know, mm-hmm. you know, he's been a distraction all season. Right. And it was the the, the pandemic thing, then the the vaccine thing, and now mm-hmm. like, don't blame the media. For you not playing up to your potential either. If you're supposed to be one of the greatest, like, don't use, like, the black indigenous argument to talk about how media skews perception. We already know that media skews perception. But what that got to do with y'all team and narratives? Us as fans watched and saw what y'all did and didn't do. And y'all are forever going to be one of the teams that never were. And that's on period. Absolutely. They're going to be one of the teams that loaded up heavy and nothing came out of it. There's not many teams that can say they loaded up heavy and nothing came out of it. But in this case, this is probably the absolute worst case that can happen. And let's go to what Stephen A. was basically saying. Stephen A. was basically saying, you want us to praise you when you weren't coming to work. Right. Um, 
we, not we, but of, I, I'll say myself, got on Ben Simmons about making this, um, you know, going up against the, the league office about getting his $20 million without him playing. But Kyrie Irving got all his money this year. At the very least, at least Ben Simmons has an actual reason for, for, for being out. Kyrie Irving made a choice to not get the vaccine, which is it is his choice. It is his choice. At the same time, right. At the same time, the rest of your team got it. And you needed to be the rest of you need to be in sync with the rest of the team. Now at the end of the season, you're talking about oh, we weren't in sync. Yeah, you can't be in sync when you're only playing like you and Kevin Durant out of the 300 or so games that you guys could have played, you guys only played less than 50 games together. That's ludicrous to me, Um, especially given the fact that, you know, when we talk about Ben Simmons and such, you know, you could joke on he has no heart, he has no this. But if somebody is talking about their mental health and feeling that they have issues with playing and stuff, we have to take that seriously as well. You know what I'm saying? It's not for me to say or to diagnose anyone or to say right. that someone is not suffering from what it is. Like, even if he's wearing an all-bright suit on the sidelines, mm-hmm. even if he wears a colorful clothes, right? Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with his mental health capacity? Nothing. Look, absolutely nothing to do with what this man goes through on a regular basis. And then it's also come out the fact that his stress or his mental health is also affecting his physical body. And what a lot of people do understand, especially athletes and former athletes, if you're not here mentally, the, your body will fail you. A hundred percent. But, you know, getting back to, you know, even beyond the vaccine, even beyond mm-hmm. that, like, I feel like people make so many excuses when they don't show up and play. My, yeah. my, my problem has always been this in, in professional sports. Mm-hmm. Someone wants to score 45 points and 17 rebounds in a loss. The goal of these things, these games are to win. Right. Not to, not to, to pile, pile up your stats. And I feel like I got a lot of heat over the past couple of years saying that this is Kyrie's time and this is KD's time to show and prove. And they have not shown and proved. So when when the when the queen comes back around and says, "Hey, they're not as great as they say they are," mm-hmm. what's going to be the argument then? That I just don't like them. That I just think that they're this. I think that they're that. And you can't say, or you can't say, "Oh, well, I didn't think that they were going to beat the Boston team." But on paper, they're supposed to beat every team on the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. So I don't want to hear the excuses. I made not one excuse for the Knicks this year. Not None. one. Not one. So it's time to take the smoke and sit around the bonfire because the Brooklyn Nets are a disaster. And that's on period. <laughs> I blame prob- coaching. I blame you blame the who? I blame coaching. Mm-hmm. I blame being a player-centered team. There's no structure. There's no discipline from mm-hmm. what I can see. People could run the roofs how they want to. And this is what happens when you let inmates run the asylum. The first thing they said was, we don't need no coach. And then they hired Steve Nash, which is crazy because Steve Nash doesn't have experience coaching. So now because Steve Nash doesn't have experience coaching, you could take advantage of the fact that he doesn't 
So now you can go and tell people, well, Steve Nash will say, oh, get the ball and give it to KD. Okay. Anything else? If Steve Nash is not a defensive player. Steve Nash's whole staff was not defensive players or, or, or coaches. You have Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash, and Marty Stoudemire, the damn pick-and-roll friends. That's it. What what gave them the – it's like they stacked this team to go exactly where they went. Right. And, you know, we're talking about what Kyrie Irving said a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read the tweet that he put out there so that people okay. can have a little context. He says, a lot of these media corporations make their money by degrading black, African, indigenous community heroes. They thrive off of it and then sell it back to us by having a hand-selected group or hand-selected person, a group of people, spark controversy about them for the world to see. Now, this is the problem, right? He's really talking about the Stephen A. Smiths and the Shannon Sharps of the world, basically in so many words, calling them Uncle Tom's. Basically, mm-hmm. without saying Uncle Tom's, without saying Uncle Tom, he's talking yeah. around the issue, and the issue is at the end of the day, they they have an opinion. You paid, you played poorly. Your team played poorly. You could have played astronomical, but if my team loses, I'm still playing poorly because I didn't play good enough for them to win. You get what I'm saying? I think the Boston team was better. I think Boston played with a chip on their shoulder, given the, the drama that Kyrie caused a couple of seasons ago with them. Um, I do feel like they had a lot to show and prove, and the Nets knew that. The Nets knew that. Kyrie's a veteran player. KD's a veteran player. They filled it up with veteran has-been players who can give you spurts. They traded away everything but the Barclay Center. Yeah. This team. Everything but the Barclays Center. Everything you're but not, the Barclays Center. You're not even lying. And then my thing is I feel bad for Kevin Durant. Now, here's the reason why. Kevin Durant basically came off the of ACL and all that stuff the season prior. And Kevin Durant, when he could be there, he has been there. And that's the point that Stephen A. Smith was making. Kevin Durant holding down the team by himself, basically, while Kyrie Irving decides that the rides are too much for me, so I'm going to take two weeks off, but then I'm going to go party with my family. Huh? Okay. Cool. Now you get a chance to, you know, kind of clear some of that Boston stuff up by playing good and games, what, three and four, what, two and three? You combine for 25 points together in games two or three after scoring 39 the first game, right? Or you scored 20-something the, the, the closeout game. Right. Kevin Durant was getting – getting was in hell most of the most of the series because he, he seen like four or five bodies jump at him. That's also on Kevin Durant for not passing the ball out of that too. There been other ways to beat that team. But also, there's a trust factor there. I was saying that uh, – he was also trying to play hero ball. And, you yeah. know, unfortunately, like, Kevin Durant is one of the most gifted scorers I've seen in a long time. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's he's up there. When you talk about greatest scorers of all time, greatest offensive players of all time, Kevin Durant ranks top five. Yeah. Best complete players, no. Best offensive players, yes. You get what I'm saying? And if, to be honest with you, it's a shame because – 
coming off of such a devastating injury, after coming mm. off of several other devastating injuries, that burden should not have been placed solely on his shoulders. That is why you have a team. Now, granted, we do not judge Kevin Durant as harshly as we judge LeBron. We do not, and that's real talk. And it's not being a LeBron yeah. fan or a KD fan or anything. KD has been allowed to slip and slide on things that LeBron has been held to the fire for, and that's true. Yeah, absolutely. You get what I'm saying? Um, LeBron, if LeBron was on the net and they were bounced out of the playoffs two years in a row, embarrassingly, he would have been held on the cross. And we people know that. Still, people are still talking about that 2011 finals. And yeah, like, and it's been 11 years. Right. People still talking about those finals. It's been 11 years. My thing about KD in the playoffs, it is okay. You were in Celtics hell most of the most of the game. It's not like none, none of us saw it. It's not like none of us saw it. My thing is, I don't think the media in general gave Kevin Durant as much smoke as they should have at all. At all. But it, it, we could always say that we knew Brooklyn was not going to be Boston, but the series yeah. wasn't competitive at all. If you really no, want to be technical, they got swept. Last year, they lost in the second round. If you really want to get technical, and this was supposed to be the new super team in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. Everybody had them as early favorites for the past couple of years to go to the finals and face the Lakers, who were all, who is also a failed team. And do Absolutely. You, but can you consider them a failed team if they won the, the championship two years ago? Like, you see, these are things that we take into consideration. You get yeah. So at the end of the day, the Brooklyn Nets did not give what it was supposed to give. It was giving Eastern Conference Finals at least energy. And it didn't perform. Defense always win championships. A complete team wins a championship. And when you know D'Antoni's record, you know what he brings to the table. You know he's going to give you points. Steve Nash, you know what type of player he was when he played under that same system. What did you think? People people didn't think anything. They were just like, oh, well, if Steve Nash should be all right, you got Kyrie, Kyrie and KD. You need more than Kyrie and KD. The others have to show up. You got the and the re, even worse reason why the Nets are, are crazy for losing. Inside that Harden trade, you probably locked up and got the best part of the trade by getting Seth Curry and by being able to keep Patty Mills. You didn't have to trade LaMarcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin, who I think Blake Griffin should have played more in the series than he did. And and, Lamar, and I go back to LaMarcus Aldridge, that low post threat could have slowed everything down for Boston. Instead, Boston is running and, and everything at them, and it doesn't make any sense at all. So, uh, Mr. Rosado. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Queen, how are you? Tired. I apologize for the late arrival, everybody. Unfortunately, I had a uh, a booking. Yeah, you go. You going in and, and out once we, again. We, you were just going in and out. Sorry, did I, when I hearing y'all talk about how Brooklyn shit the bed yet again. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was terrible. Like you know, 
I, listen, as I, they got what they deserved at the end of the day. I mean, they did not deserve to win this series at all. They did not. Um, and they, they, they played like it. Durant had a terrible series. And Boston, Boston was a better team. Um, you know, the hope is they can regroup next year and, and figure it out. But honestly, seeing what Boston did to them, I think Boston can go all the way this year, guys. Honestly. But how – it feels like the Brooklyn Nets have been regrouping since they became a team. The Brooklyn Nets been regrouping since they traded uh, D'Angelo Russell for, for KD in general. Yeah. I always feel like every time you hear about the Brooklyn Nets, they have a new identity every couple of years. So they have not found their identity in the league yet. It's been, what, 12 years since they've mm-hmm. become an official team since they left from the first Right. And they're still under that rebuilding thing. My problem with Brooklyn is that they had an identity before Kenny Atkinson was let go. And the only reason why Kenny Atkinson was let go after bringing him to the playoffs was because Kyrie and KD didn't want somebody to coach him. Like, I I honestly don't get it. Kenny Atkinson was a really good coach. And he, he brought the Nets up every year he was there. And then he's gone. Because your two superstars don't want to be coached. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think, I think it was a big problem there. Um, and, and, Tay, you're not wrong. You're not wrong about them being seeming like they were always rebuilding. I think their biggest issue, and I spoke about this on the show when it happened, I was against when it happened, was gutting that team to bring in James Harden. You, were, you had built a great core. The reason why they were able to get Kevin Durant the reason why they were able to get Kyrie Irving, whether I like him or not, the reason why they were able to get those players is because of what that team had accomplished on the backs of Kenny Atkinson's coaching, like Dre said, but also on the backs of Spencer Dinwiddie, on the backs of Joe Harris, on the back of Jared Allen, on the backs of all these players that had brought the Nets back into respectability after being a pretty bad team for a long time. And uh, instead, they decided to blow that that core up, that core of young players, in order to try and go with the super team model. And I'm sorry, it worked for Boston when they had Garnett and Pierce and Rondo um, and Ray Allen. It I'm worked about to get to that. Yeah, I'm about to get to that when we talk about Doc. But that yeah, it it, it worked for. It worked for Miami to a degree with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. It also helps that you had two generational players in Wade and LeBron, which is much different than just a regular super team. But, you know, it doesn't work on many occasions. And people can miss me about, like, oh, the super teams from back in the day. There was no free agency. People got drafted. Things happened. Teams were built that way because of drafting. Like, the 70s and 80s Celtics were all drafted that way. You know, but we're talking about, like, these modern-day super teams. It works. I Here's the thing. I wouldn't consider Golden State a super team because Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, to an extent Draymond Green, were not superstars when they got to Golden State. 
They were drafted there. They were molded there. They were cultivated there. And they became a, a grown super team. I'm talking about these traded super teams. It does not work for 95% of the teams that try to do it. They didn't become a super really team until damn KD. They didn't become a super team until KD went over there. No, I would have called them a super team, but they were I wouldn't still call them a super team. I still wouldn't call them a super team now. But people, they didn't trade. They didn't get. They didn't go trade for Steph Curry when he was Steph Curry. They didn't go trade. Which is why, which is why, because it was naturally constructed, it's hard to call them a super team compared to what we've seen, like the the Garnett, the Garnett, Ray, and 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 Truth, and you know. In Miami and friends. Um, but you know so. what? To be fair about the Boston Super Team, that team was never supposed to go as far as they did. Only because of where those three were in their career. They were they were basically on the I don't want to say the twilight, but they were leading towards the twilights of their career. And they were just they were really good. And they had a, they had solid players who picked up the slack. Like at the end of the day, and maybe this could be, you know, where we transition into the next topics, um, the super team model does not work anymore. I feel like it's run its course. You get what I'm saying? What has been what has been showing me is that you need a more solid, complete team, mirrored similar to the Spurs types of teams mirrored similar to that Toronto team that that went that random year and even like the Milwaukee's. You get what I'm saying? You need a veteran stalwart there. You need a, a rising young person coming off the you know, the rising young superstar and you need a solid second core option off the bench. And Brooklyn was not deep enough to contend for the playoffs at all. They weren't and Brooklyn was Overrated, rightfully so, but they were overrated. Right. But, Is it, do you think overrated, or do you think given unrealistic expectations? No, nah, their 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 expectation was realistic. When you have a top seventy-five player, and then somebody who everybody believes is on the cusp of being a top one hundred player, and then you also had another top seventy-five player at one point in time, you guys should have won everything. And James Harden shouldn't have been on that list either, but you know that's for another conversation. That is for for another conversation. The only person, the only person that should have been on that list that's on the Brooklyn Nets is Kevin Durant. Everybody else is uncivilized. So you you look at you know the model that works and the model that I agree with is you want to have two really really good anchors on your team, and then you want to build the rest of the team around that with role players and budding and emerging superstars and things like that. This is what worked in LA. It's what worked in Miami. It's what worked in a lot of other places where you have those two major superstars that can be that can anchor the team and then you build the team around them and their strengths and what their weaknesses are. You fill those holes. Um, or like Tay said, and I fully agree with the queen, and I have been a, a big fan of the San Antonio model for a while now where you just build mm-hmm. a solid team all around where you have three, four, five really good, really good players. Nobody's necessarily great. Um, you know, like you have, obviously you had the Tim Duncan's, Tony Parker's, Mono Ginobili's, but you know, that team in and of itself, no one knew that Tony Parker was going to become the, the, the hall of fame caliber player that he became. 
No one knew that Mono Ginobili was going to become the Hall of Fame caliber player that he became. You know, we all knew what Duncan was, but, you know, that team built itself and then it cultivated guys like Kawhi Leonard and it cultivated other players that are in the league now. Like, they, the San Antonio Spurs may not be the best team right now, but they are still a very solid team that is cultivating great players and great rotation players. Um, the, I think the biggest problem in the NBA is are players going to want to play in a style where they have to do very specific jobs and they cannot do just what they want to do and play how they want to play. And I think that's been the biggest detriment of the player led NBA has been that the players think they have all the answers and the coaches are no longer important. Um, I think I said this once in the group chat, I've said, you know, I guarantee you if the player coach idea still existed today, you wouldn't see coaches on the sideline. You'd have a lot of these players thinking they knew what was best for their team. Um, and trying to be a player coach. Half of these people are trying to be player GMs, and it just annoys me. Yeah, that's a conversation for another day, for sure. But um, we spoke yeah, about. I want Matt. I want Matt on this conversation when we talk about player you know, GMs. I, I want to talk about. I want. I want to hear how he feels about what Kyrie says online. Because Pete, we started off with what uh, Kyrie said about a couple of days ago. You know, just kind of a little bit of the hangover of the Brooklyn Nets season. But, like, I do see where the media does skew perception perception, and are harsher on athletes of color. I do see that. But when someone doesn't necessarily agree, like, when you know you're not playing up to your potential, you have to own that. Everybody's saying that you're great and you're not playing great. And... Uh, do you want to be the guy that scores 100 points in a loss or the guy that scores 30 points in a win? That's where Kyrie is to me. There's a lot of players, Queen. There's a lot of players in today's NBA that would rather be the one that scores 100 points in a loss because there's a lot of players in today's NBA where it's just like, well, you know what? That's going to be my next contract. You know, Matt got mad at me. Matt got mad at me. I remember y'all were, y'all were kind of like monitoring that little conversation one time. Mm-hmm. But me and Matt had a little bit of a conversation in the group chat one time about like, yo, would you rather play, take less money? Uh, we were talking about, I think, Gary Payton, Gary Payton II in Golden State. Yeah. Would you rather take less money uh, from Golden State or, or, or go get your bag somewhere else? And I said very plainly, I would rather take less money to play in that Golden State system and stay in a system that is going to be continuously successful every single year and I'm going to grow there, then go get an extra 40, 50, 60 million dollars from somewhere and then not be able to play up to the expectations that that team is going to want me to play to. Because most of the times it's going to be the bad team that wants you to be the star to take them out of mediocrity. And a lot of these players, they're chasing those bags. And by all means, get your money, kings and queens, by all means. But let's make smart decisions about your career as well. Because do you want to be the person that signed three of the biggest contracts in the history of your sport but never did nothing and was the best player on really bad teams? Or do you want to have a a resume that says, yo, I was a great player on this team and a good player on this team and I got these rings and I did this and I did that? And I think that's personally for me, I think that's more important. And I think there's a lot more people in these leagues today. Uh, I understand it more in the NFL because that money's not guaranteed. But in the NBA and in Major League Baseball, that money is guaranteed. Let's be smarter with our career decisions, kings and queens. 
Yeah. To move forward about, uh, we mentioned something about overrating the coaches and systems. We've discussed this on a few occasions, but we've never really had a conversation on the show about it. Um, Doc Rivers. Um, he seems like he's been living in the past. He brought up his Orlando team. He brought up Boston. He seemed to skip over the Clippers. And um, he's talking about Philly now. Is Doc Rivers overrated? Or is is Doc Rivers a all-time top 15 coach? Or have we overrated him based on the teams that he has had? Can I just say that this is something that I kind of talked about in our chat yesterday. I do not feel like we put that overrated tag on Doc Rivers. I feel as if Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers has proven himself as a coach to be effective, right? My problem with the Doc Rivers argument is that he his style of coaching, his style of playing, his style of how he manages his team does not connect with the league that he is coaching in right now. I feel as if Doc Rivers, who coached the Boston Celtics in 2008 to that championship, the, the Doc Rivers who, you know, was a part of one of the greatest, like, who, who can be considered one of the greatest coaches of all time, I feel as if his time is up now. I feel as if if he doesn't adapt with the time, it's time to step down and hang it up. And those Clippers teams weren't really that good either. Like, I'm just being honest with you. They were the right team at the wrong time, if you really want to get technical. When you say, when when we were talking about this earlier, um, Pete was bringing up the Vinny Del Negro, how he started, how the team was run, and this, and the third. But... When you think about the re- the emergence of the Clippers in 2011 with the Blake Griffiths, OKC was still running amok. Golden State was just trying to, was getting ready to start figuring out who they were. You had the San Antonio Spurs, still a viable threat, and still the Houston Rockets. So at the end of the day, they could have been a great team who could have contended with any team in the East, even the LeBron-led Heat. They could have contended with them, but they had to get through a tough Western Conference. I think a lot of them, they, a lot of that um, Clippers team had to get over themselves. There was a lot of infighting on that team over who's leading and who's not. There was a lot of personalities on there that they didn't know how to gel with each other. And I'm mainly talking about Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. Um, as you see, Chris Paul has gone, every team that he's gone to has, he's made a difference on. But I, I don't know, that Clippers team, they have so much potential and just n- no, nothing. But Pete, is Doc Rivers overrated? The the problem with saying overrated is how we define overrated, right? The problem with saying overrated is how we define it. The man has won 59% of his games, uh, 58.7% of his games. He's won over 1,000 games in the NBA, lost only about 700. So he's, lost, he's won close to 60% of his games. He's won 51% of his games in the playoffs, which is what I think most people 
uh, kind of bag on him for is his playoff record. If you're talking to me about being a great coach, I think Doc Rivers is a great coach. I don't think he's been a great playoff coach. And I also don't think his teams have been properly constructed to have success in the playoffs. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, this is a man who has coached for 23 seasons and made the playoffs in 18 of those seasons. Um, so is he overrated as a head coach? No. Um, but th- at the end of the day, we also have to say, we have to say that with also adding the caveat of the success of a coach ultimately lies in the success of their team. And the ultimate success of any team in any sport is how successful are you at winning a championship? And the fact that Doc Rivers has won one championship in 23 years, the fact that his teams have for a long time not necessarily been the most successful, especially after he left Boston. You know, he had some playoff teams in Orlando that got a little far. One team went to the finals, but that was it. That was that you wasn't know? his team in Orlando uh, that went to the finals. That was um, Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, it was. The, no, the original, the original uh, team that went to uh, they, they, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. He wasn't coaching then. He wasn't coaching then. He was long past that. He was in he Boston. Was still already. playing for the Spurs. No. No, he was in Boston then. By then, he was coaching Boston by the time um, Dwight and them got to the finals. I think the um, he he got coach of the year. Sorry, but they did go to the playoffs each year. Yeah. That he was in Orlando. Yeah, 2000, 2002. Yeah, 01, 02, 03. He took Orlando to the playoffs for three successive years. They didn't make the finals. I do apologize. Then he went to Boston. And he had a couple of bad years in Boston. People don't talk about the bad Boston years. Um, yeah, and then he all had was there Paul Pierce at that time. Exactly. And then they exactly. Got, <laughs> yeah. You know, and then they got a really good team there, and he was able to take that team. But as Tay has made this point already as well, um, Tay, Tay usually on a hundred every single day, but today she's on a thousand making all the salient points. Uh, and I'm just really echoing a lot of what Tay is saying at some of these, at some time, you know, it's not hard to, it's not hard to be successful coaching Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. It's not hard, right? You had an emerging point guard in Ray John Rondo, and you filled that team with some really great role players. But it's 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 easy to coach them to success. It's hard to fail when you have that caliber of a team. Uh, and he did well, and he ran into the buzz saws that were Miami and and were the the emerging teams in the West. Uh, but he did get that one title, and then he went to L.A. and listen, I'm like like Tay said about the the point that I made, Vinny Del Negro had 56 wins his last year. And the only reason why he got fired is because that team blew a 2-0 lead to the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs. Um, and then Doc got hired. And Doc's best record in L.A. was 57 wins. One more win than Vinny Del Negro did. I don't think Vinny Del Negro could have done what Doc Rivers did with that same team had he been able to keep his job. Um, but, you know, Doc had some – I got to give, you know, I got to give Doc credit for what he did in L.A. As, as, as unsuccessful as that team was in the playoffs, he built a perennial – he built and led a perennial playoff team 
in L.A. that was not named the Lakers. And that's something that for many, many years we thought was going to be impossible. We never thought we would get to a place in the NBA where the L.A. Clippers would be a perennial playoff team. Granted, they didn't go far, but they were in the playoffs every year, winning over 50 games almost every single year. Um, Real quick. I don't want to call him overrated, but I will call him. He's a great regular season coach. He has not had the track record to be considered a great playoff coach, and I think that's the one the one knock on his resume. But the man's a Hall of Fame coach, and I don't think you can call any man or any woman who has a Hall of Fame resume overrated. I'm just saying, I feel like we give him participation awards for getting to the playoffs and not finishing a job. And I know you need the players, but something got to give with the coaching as well. Well, technically, how many – so. 16 teams make the playoffs yes. in the NBA, not counting not counting the playing teams. 16 yes. teams make the playoffs. 15 coaches fail every year. Absolutely. 15 coaches have to fail every year. Mm-hmm. So it, I, don't, I don't think it's really a participation trophy because it's not like his teams don't make the playoffs. He's been 23 years as a coach and only five years not making the playoffs. And one of those years he was fired after 11 games. So if you don't count that year in Orlando where he was fired after 11 games, he's really been in the playoffs, you know, what, 18, um, 18 out of 22 years. He's missed the playoffs four seasons. Like 15 coaches have to fail every year. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily a participation trophy. He, he, does what, uh, he does what a lot of other coaches can't do. Uh, you know, he's just not as successful as finishing – uh, as other coaches do. But don't we give the players the same smoke, too, for not finishing the job? I mean, it, it ultimately, I give the players more smoke than the coaches because at the end of the day, the coaches, the coaches, the coaches don't put the ball in the hoop. The coaches don't. The coaches are not the ones playing defense. The coaches are not the ones making the shots. Their job is to put the players on the court and to make adjustments. They, But they don't ultimately – they're not the ones that are missing the free throws. They're not the ones who are uh, not wanting to pass the ball. They're not the ones who are, you know, not making the shots when they're supposed to be making the shots. You can't blame the coaches for the inefficiencies of the players. Um, and so at the end of the day, I think the players do deserve to get more smoke than the coaches should ever get unless your coach is completely trash. And if you're making the playoffs with a completely trash coach, I have a lot more questions than anything. I'll give you that. So moving forward, we're in the second round of the playoffs right now. And um, it will be Bucks versus Celtics, Warriors versus Grizzlies, Mavs versus Suns, and Philadelphia versus Miami. And the reason why I mentioned that last is because Joel Embiid is out for the rest of the playoffs, leaving James Harden to fend for himself against a Miami team that is not playing with people's kids right now. So, Queen, I ask you this. Um, is there any chance that Philadelphia moves forward, or is this just it for them this year? Pete, I'll go to you. I think Queen is busy. 
Um, no, I don't think there's any way Philly. I, I did not real. I did not know Embiid was going to be out for the entirety of the playoffs. I know he was out indefinitely. Yeah. I know that's the report that passed the desk earlier today. Yeah. Uh, I obviously have not been on to know if that's been updated, uh, but I assume it has been, and now he's uh, confirmed out for the rest of the playoffs. I don't yeah. think there's any way. I thought if Embiid was going to play against Miami, they had a chance. Even though I'm, I, I kind of knew in my in my heart if I had to put my money on it, Miami was going to beat Philly. Um, but at the end of the day. Uh, without Joel Embiid, I don't think Philly stands any chance against against Miami. They might get lucky and win one game, but they got nobody to stop me. Uh, Bam Adebayo. Um, they definitely don't have anybody right now who's going to stop Jimmy Butler. And Miami has uh, a bunch of great role players and Tyler Hero and and others who can who can do good things on that team. I honestly think the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be Miami and Boston, um, and I think that's going to be a great Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Um, I think personally that uh, I actually think it's going to be Miami and Milwaukee, and I'll, I'll tell you why, but I'll get back to that in a second. James Harden about to pay for all his sins in this series. He about to pay for all his sins, being fake with, with Houston, being fake with Brooklyn, and landing in Philly. <clears throat> My man's about to pay for all his sins. Miami is going to put him through hell. Um, they're gonna put Maxi through hell, and it's just going to be gonna be hell for the 76ers. And I feel bad because and we just spoke about Doc Rivers. This is gonna go back on Doc, unfortunately. I think Doc might get a pass simply because Embiid went out with the yeah. Embiid injury. I think Doc might get a little bit of a pass. Okay, um, I'm sorry, I was getting dinner for my daughter. Um, so I don't think the 76ers have a, ch- a chance. I think it's unfortunate that Embiid is injured. At this, this was a banner year for his career. You know what I'm saying? If he was playing mm-hmm. the best basketball he's ever played. And it's sad to have seen him gone down like that. With that being said, I agree 100%. Harden's time to repent. It's time to reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. Some nonsense for some years now, and been leaving a lot of unsituated, a lot of situations unscathed. You know what I'm saying? So it's time to pay the piper and and go home. First round town. Ah, uh, second round town. Your song, you get to sing it too for sure. That's right, second round town, baby. Second round town, baby. Well, listen, he the- didn't. He- he said he couldn't do it by himself in Houston, and he didn't want to do it with with Kyrie and uh, with Kyrie and and, uh, and and Durant. And now look at him; he's got to do it all by himself again. I bet you that um, magically there's an injury that he's been holding on to that he's going to sit out a couple of these games. <clears throat> that that is my feeling on it. That is my feeling on it, but. Listen, I didn't think I didn't think Philly was going to win more than two games in the series, even with Embiid being healthy. Uh, I, I thought they were going to lose the series four two, even with Embiid being healthy. With Embiid being out now, I'm going to show Philly a little bit of respect and say that I think they could get one game. But I would be greatly surprised if they win more than one game in the series. I I didn't have it going to six. I had it going to seven. Mm. Interesting. Okay. 
I would have thought it would it would have gone to seven only because um, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry are nursing injuries right now, so they may not play all of the games in the series right now, which probably would have let up on Philadelphia a little bit with them two not being there. So then again, Philly. Philly let Philly let Toronto get way too far in the series, and Toronto was missing Van Vliet. Toronto did not have a really healthy Barnes. Toronto was a really banged up team. Philly Philly really showed their weaknesses in that Toronto series. Absolutely. And then um, we move forward to Boston and, and Milwaukee. It's going to be a tough test for Milwaukee without um, Chris Middleton. The Boston team is playing on the um, playing on all cylinders right now. They are. I'm taking Boston in seven in this one. They're the number one team in defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to figure, listen, I, I honestly think the biggest, the biggest um, W in this playoffs was the Boston Celtics getting Robert Williams, the third back. Um, he is going to be a key cog in helping to control Giannis. And notice how I did not say shut down, but definitely control uh, Giannis and I think this Boston team um, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and the rest of and Al Horford. Listen, Horford and Rob Williams right now are going to be are going to are going to put Giannis through his paces. They really, really are. Uh, and listen, I love Brooke Lopez just as much as the next guy, but I'm sorry, Al Horford and and Rob Williams are going to give them all the smoke they can handle. Um, and I don't know if Milwaukee has enough defensively to shut down Brown, Smart, and Tatum. I think they, sh- they shut down one of them. I don't think they shut down all three. I think Marcus Smart Smart probably comes back. Well, I can't say comes back down to earth because he's been playing good all season. But this might be the series with him going against Holiday where he kind of like levels out. Um, my thing about Milwaukee and Giannis, the last time Boston played Milwaukee in the, in the playoffs, you know, that they did that whole wall up thing and Giannis was kind of shut down. Giannis know, knows how to shoot somewhat now. He can get to his spots and shoot that little mid-range shot now. So what is Boston going to do about that if Milwaukee, if Giannis is getting to his spots? I mean, Queen, how do you see this Boston and Milwaukee series going? I see Boston meeting Milwaukee. The Giannis I saw this year was not the Giannis of last year. In a bad way. In a bad way? Yeah. I feel like while he improved his skills in so many different ways, mm-hmm. I feel like other teams know how to play him now. I feel as if there's no magic there. It's just an improvement. And he's still really young in the league. You get what I'm saying? I feel like last year was his was his Joel and BDS. You get what I'm saying? So I feel like with this year, with the absence of Chris Middleton, he's going to he doesn't really have a third or fourth option at this point. So is he gonna score eighty points? Mm. And they're tied 2-2. They played four times this season. Milwaukee won two. Boston won two. But I think what's really telling is that Milwaukee only won their games by a span of four points and six points. 
while Boston, when they beat Milwaukee, beat them by nine points and 14 points. So, you know, now Milwaukee does have the advantage of a recency. They, they defeated them on April 7th. And then the first, uh, the last time they played, I think it was on Christmas. So they, they defeated them in the last two games. Boston won the first two this season. Um, but definitely, I think Boston is a much better team uh, than they were in the beginning of the season now. Um, and it, it's going to be very interesting to see. The, and, and I think they're really carrying how well they did against Brooklyn. I agree. I think um, Boston, they found their identity later on in the season. I think they were a really good team at the beginning of the season, and I think they found their group. It's going to be hard to stop their momentum. That's not to say that it can't be stopped, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Well, as we move forward, the next game, next series we're looking at is Mavericks versus Suns. Um, this is a very interesting series. Luca has been playing out his mind besides this Mav team that just probably defeated the team that some people really thought they were going to beat anyway, but others really thought Utah was going to figure it out. Um, how do they fare against the Suns, who've been just on one? And also, they had a lot of trouble with um, that New Orleans team. Pete? Um, I think this really comes down to how healthy Devin Booker is. I think that's the big thing is how healthy Devin Booker is going to be and how, how well he's going to be able to do in this series. I, I think, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that CP3 is going to shut down Luka Doncic by any means, but I think CP3 is going to play him a lot smarter than most other point guards could play him. Um, and I think he's going to make Luka Doncic work for everything he's going to get. Um, and I don't think Luka Doncic has another player on that team that's really going to be able to push him to that level. Um, I don't think Luka can beat Phoenix by themselves. Uh, but again, if Devin Booker is out for any extended amount of time in this series, I know he came back for game six um, in, in their first round series, but if he's out for any extended amount of time, I think the Mavs can sneak a couple of games in because I don't know if Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are going to be enough. But if you have Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton against this Mavs team, I say at most six games, I think Phoenix wins this. Um, I have Phoenix going to the East, uh, to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I, I think it's going to be Phoenix. In my opinion, it's going to be Phoenix and Golden State in the West. Um, and it's going to be, you know, Boston and Milwaukee. I'm sorry, Boston and, and uh, Boston and Miami in the East. Uh, but that, that's what I think it's going to turn out to be. I can see that. I can um I can see Boston, Boston um Miami on the east, and I can see Golden State, Phoenix on the west. Let me tell you something, Luka Doncic, right? I slept on Luka in the beginning of our our sports show, right? But I feel as if you will never see his full potential and what he could actually do as a player until he gets a better team. I do not feel that the Dallas Mavericks are a good team. I do not feel it. So does he need like a better number two? Like he needs like a solidified number two? Or he needs a beta as a number two. He can't be any 
he needs a beta number two. I, I said this with Matt last week. He's um, one and two. Yeah. He's that he first beta. option at last resort. Yeah. And that's the problem is he – I'm sorry, Ted. The What I feel is this. He has to leave it on the court every game in order for the Dallas Mavericks to win. He can't have he does not have a moment to go on cruise control. Which I think is going to overwhelm him and make him want to leave Dallas. I think though, and and and, and Tay's one hundred percent right as well, but I think the problem that Luca has is he cannot play with another alpha. I don't think he can really play with somebody who demands the ball, demands wanting to be a featured option. He needs to have a a a a, a guy on that team that can be a number one scoring option but wants to feed off of Luca. If you want so if you get somebody who the offense needs to run through them via Luca, I think Luca's gonna get very aggravated uh by them wanting to be featured. But I feel like if you get Luca one of those players that is okay being the quiet 30 point a game player where they can score 30, but it's like, hey, I don't need to take the most shots. I just want to feed off of whatever you do and do all this and clean up and, and get what I get, but still score 30, 35 and be another option alongside you. That's the kind of player Luca needs. Um, and then Luca could really, you know, play to the best of his ability as a point guard and still score because you won't have defenses clamping down on him. But I don't know if there's any players like that still out there in the NBA. You had a couple of those players um, back in the olden days who were willing to be a number two with number one talent and were okay being seen as the number two. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. I think you have a lot of those players who they have number one talent and they want to be lauded and celebrated and and uh, and, and treated like the number one on the team. Um and 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 that's not what Luca. I don't think Luca can play with somebody like that. I think if we had somebody like Anthony Davis who is healthy. I think that would work for Luca. He he needs a big that's. Gonna... Luca and Dirk would have been perfect. The oh yeah, Luca and Dirk would have been amazing. If, <laughs> if if that if that generational gap hadn't happened, if Luca Doncic had played alongside Dirk Nowitzki, had played alongside the Michael Finley Dirk Nowitzki Mav teams. That Dallas team would have won multiple championships, and I put money and and my and my reputation on that. That team would have won multiple championships. Ah, oh. I don't are know. They, all that. Are they beating the Lakers a bunch of times? Yeah, the later Lakers, the Shackless Lakers, yeah. When it was just Kobe and and the role players, yeah, yeah, I I do think you can I do think you that, can beat that, that team. That time that's play. highly suspect. That's highly. You suspect. had, you had what a good what, four or five years where Dirk was Dirk won the title when, Dirk won his title what Miami's first year. Yeah, eleven. Yeah, by by two thousand eleven, Shaq wasn't on was nowhere near that the LA Lakers. Yeah, um, the Lakers had won their last championship, I think, the year before, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I think if you would put Dirk Nowitzki, Luka Doncic, and, and that team together between 2011 
and when and when uh, and when Dirk retired, I think they could have won at least two, maybe two titles. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I do not think so. Not against that Miami Heat. Not against the, that Miami Heat team was going to figure it out. That the the thing is what the reason why that Dallas lost that game. Miami lost more than Dallas won, and people don't want to say that. You get what I'm saying? They right. played their hearts out. But this is the, the, the problem with having super teams. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to be an alpha, and only Bosch was okay with being a beta. And there were some right. nights where Chris Bosch was the alpha. You get what I'm saying? So after a while, they kind of got their rhythm together. And I feel like Luka Doncic needs a player like a, um, like a Giannis. Yeah, I think you put yeah. Giannis in a Luca, and it works. Yeah, yeah, I'm so Luca. That'd be nasty. That'd be too much to deal with. I think even to a degree, uh, uh, to a degree, because he's not super duper in his own ego. I think a Luca and and Joel Embiid would be an incredible pairing as well. That would be better than than Luca. I mean, James Harden and Joel Embiid, because Luca's gonna still give the buckets. And Luke, yeah, but, but um, Harden, you know, we put a lot of pressure on the players like Le- the LeBrons and the Hardens and the the even and the KDs. These men are <coughs> 14, 15 plus years, some almost in the league. Like, how much more do y'all want these men to do? I mean, like all of it. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, long, long. The funny thing is, when I was looking up, because we had spoken about Doc Rivers in the group chat yesterday, um, and I know that me and Matt had the little conversation about Doc. And when I was looking up the statistics about Doc Rivers, and I was making the Vinny Del Negro um, uh, Doc Rivers argument, and I was looking up the statistics on it, when I looked up the Memphis Grizzlies team that beat Vinny Del Negro's Clippers in the first round, this was a team that had. Zach Randolph, a rookie Mike Connolly, uh, had about four guys on that team that averaged between 10 and 15 points in that series. Like, gone are those days where you have multiple players where no one's scoring really over 20 a game, everybody's chipping in, you got four, five, six people deep that is averaging 10 to 12 to 15 points a game, and and those are those teams, those well-oiled machines that, like like Tay mentioned much earlier in the show, those old San Antonio teams where you would look at those box scores at the end of the night and you'd like, yo, there were like seven players that scored in double figures. There were like three so, or four people that scored over fifteen points. So like, the problem, the problem with that is, is that the game has expanded. Like when we're talking about those teams that have everybody averaging 10, 12, 15 points, about six people averaging 15 points. Um, We're not talking about the now, the three-point era, where the game has extended to the three-point line where the three-point shot is better than a mid-range shot. No, we are, because what was the year, what was the year that uh, we're talking, what, less than, what, 10 years ago? Less than yeah. 10 years ago, what, Doc Rivers was hired by the Celtics when? 08? Yeah, that wasn't the three-point era. The three-point era wasn't until a couple, like, I, I really would say, like, what, 2013, 2014? Mm. 
that Memphis team that beat them, they, they didn't have no prolific three-point shooters on that team. But Tony Memphis, Allen. God, Tony Allen can't shoot uh, a damn nickel in the ocean, bro. I don't know. What are you talking <laughs> but no, about? But, you, no, you know, you, you <laughs> have these teams that they just – they were stacked. You know, something that I, I feel like is is, is lost in, the, in this generation of the NBA, you know, I know all three of us remember the day when you had a lot of really good small forwards in the league. I remember the days when you had a lot of good power forwards in the league. Nowadays, I feel like all the all the top players are either guards or or a center or a, a, a point forward kind of thing. But there's no real, really great small forwards that are really dominating the league. You know, you know, as as you know, as shooters, you know, it's it's mostly two guards or point or point forwards. And and I miss the days when you had your forwards, your power forwards, and your small forwards that stretched the offense. That was their job: stretch the defense to the perimeter so that your big man could work on the inside and your shooters could shoot. Yeah, but those are also the gears where the games were like. Um, 80 to 85, too, and a lot of people don't want to watch that. Unfortunately, no, I'm, but... I'm talking about, I'm talking about even, you know, the game when we were talking about the hundred point games. You know, not the hundred twenty point game, but I'm talking like the Tayshawn Princes, the Rip Hamiltons, the Richard Jeffersons, the Kenyon Martins. Like, right, but you're Zach mentioning Rick, it. You're mentioning an era where the average points per game wasn't 130 points a game. Yeah, I'm listen. I don't want to be that high. I'm okay uh-huh. with 100, 115. Hell, I'm okay with 120 in an overtime game. But you know, when every game is like 150 points in regulation, I'm sorry. Many people may find that exciting, but I do not find a game where the final score at the end of regulation is 150 to 147. I get you. I get you. The last team to talk about, the last um, playoff matchup to talk about is the Warriors versus the Grizzlies. I fully expect the Warriors to handle the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies will put up a, a strong fight against this Warriors team. And this is actually the matchup I really want to see. I definitely did not want to see Minnesota versus Golden State and Minnesota just like destroy uh, Minnesota like that. I wanted to see Golden State versus the Grizzlies. How do you think this series is going to come out, Tay? Wait, you started breaking up. Um, oh, the Grizzlies versus the Warriors. How do you think this is going to come out? Turn out? I think the Warriors are going to win. Um, I hope. For some reason, I really want to see them do really well. I want them to, to go all the way. I'm a sucker for a comeback story. So I, I want... Golden State to beat Memphis, but I think Golden State's going to beat Memphis. Pete? Yeah, I, I got Golden State winning this. Uh, Memphis has been, you know, the scrappy little engine that could for a long while. Uh, I kind of do want to see Memphis someday get their comeuppance. I think they've, they've put in a lot of great work. They've had really great teams in Memphis. Uh, for a while that just have not been able to go very far or just have been swallowed up by just how top-heavy the West has been for so many years. And they've always just been that really scrappy, 
kind of old school esque team where they yeah they're gonna score and they can score but they they play tough they play rough they play defense they do the little things right. Um, I, I think this is gonna be a great growing experience for uh, that team for John Morant and all of them. Um, but you know, it, it's it's very tough to beat what I think is probably a Warriors team that is a throwback to an, a, 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 an era of Warriors basketball I think a lot of people forget. I think a lot of NBA fans are prisoners of the moment and forget just how dangerous and really, really dangerous this Golden State team can be. Remember, this Golden State team is not that different from how it was four or five years ago. You still got Steph Curry. You still got Klay Thompson. You still got Draymond Green. And now you got a kid in, in Jordan Poole who's playing out of his mind. Now you've got role players on the bench like Gary Payton uh, II who's playing out of his mind. And you got a guy in Kev, uh, Kelvin Looney who's playing really, really well. This team still doesn't even have James Wiseman, which was, I think, a, a really great missing piece for them. And Clay and Steph have not been playing like Clay and Steph. God forbid and God help these teams if Steph's not injured and Steph's playing like Steph and Clay Thompson you know, turns it on, you know, God help these teams because this team has found a new death lineup. This team has found a way to play basketball the way they like playing basketball. And I don't think there is a team in the NBA that is equipped and able to stop the Golden State Warriors when they are firing on all cylinders. They are a dangerous team and will always be a dangerous team because you're not guarding Steph Curry from anywhere on the floor. And if you are stopping Steph by some means, you got to worry about Klay Thompson. Um, and hate Draymond Green as much as you like. That man is a little bit, uh, very much a throwback to a bygone era where he's just going to sit there and clean up the basketball and get the little, get the little, um, you know, the, 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 um, the backdoor, the backdoor points and, you know, just play, play that little playground basketball where he's just going to sneak into the post. Nobody's going to see that he's there and get the ball dumped down to him and get a layup. Uh, and things like that. And now you got to worry about Jordan Poole. I honestly do not see many reasons as to why the Golden State Warriors should not right now be the favorite to win the NBA championship. Um, I feel like the Warriors, and this is a hot take, but I really feel like the Warriors have about, give or take, two, two more really solid seasons before they are not that team anymore. They will still have Steph. They will still have Clay. They'll still have Draymond. But after all these years, I think the teams like Memphis, um, even the Sacramento team right now that's at that's bottom up, that still has some players that's gonna that's coming up. Um, um, the the well, I was I wasn't gonna say the Clippers, but no. But there and the Suns team is still going to be good even after Chris Paul is is done. Um, there are teams that's going to figure out that Golden State Warriors team. I'm not saying they're not going to be a good team, but I think they only have about two more seasons for them to be in that championship window. I don't, I don't know if that's a fair assessment or not, but that's how I feel. What about you, Tay? <laughs> Great. That's not a hot take. I think that's reality. I feel like this Golden State team puts me in the mind of that Spurs team. Mm -hmm. 
that would be uh, Ginobili, um, Parker, uh, what's his name, Duncan, okay. right? So they were always in the conversation, always here, always there, one a few times. And then, like, after a while, like, you know, all things, all good things come to an end. They may have to start looking into rebuilding over the next two to three years. I think three max. Two, you start, I think after next season, you start looking. Yeah. Um, Pete, your thoughts. But I think they may have, I think they may have low-key found those things. I think Jordan Poole is, is going to be somebody that can help take the burden off of a Steph and a Clay. I think James Wiseman is that guy who's going to step in and start replacing the Draymond Greens. And I think uh, in those next two, three years, I, and I do agree with you, I think you're going to start to see Steph, Clay, and Draymond still be there, but kind of take more of those backseat veteran roles. They're still going to be there, be dangerous. Steph's still going to be a great shooter. Clay's still going to be a great shooter. But they're going to turn more into those dangerous role players where it's just like, yo, Clay going to come out and be the three-point specialist. Steph going to come out and be the three-point specialist, come in and be the point guard when he needs to be. But they're really going to be – listen, if you got Steph, Clay as the anchors of your B team and you're still building your A team around your younger, newer players, that's still a dangerous team. Um, and so I think Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, uh, and, and maybe even a Kelvin Looney, could be the beginnings of the the beginnings of the new era, uh, and I think they definitely are going to just have to find some some other players to build up. Remember, there is a lot of people. Okay, again, I, I say this: NBA fans are prisoners of the moment. There are a lot of people who don't remember. None of us thought Steph Curry was going to be what he is right now. Many of us thought Steph Curry was not even going to play a game in this league. Because that man could not leave the injured reserve list for his first two to three years in the league with them ankle problems, with them foot problems. No one thought Steph Curry was going to be the player he is today. Okay. And so people just see Steph and like, oh, yeah, he been, he been, he, he, he light-skinned Jesus. He that, he this. Yeah, but where were you when it was just like, yo, did the Golden State Warriors crap the bed? By drafting Steph Curry. Remember, that's why they got Clay Thompson. They got Clay Thompson to be the insurance policy because they didn't know that Steph Curry was going to actually come back and play. And that Steph Curry was going to be a player for them. It was an absolute miracle that Steph Curry came back, A, B, came back being as good as he is, and C, came back being healthy for the majority of his career. And then they ended up just having the happenstance of being able to pair him with 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 Clay Thompson like yo they couldn't have they couldn't have played that better you couldn't have written that because if Steph Curry does not get hurt if Steph Curry plays the way that he plays now for the first three years of his career they're not in the position that they're in to draft Clay Thompson take that to the bank you on that. Um, real quick for um, my second to last topic. Um, the NFL draft. Again, we have Giants and Jets in here. Between the two teams, who won the draft? Between the two New York teams. Both. Both straight up. The Giants had a really great draft. 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you. The Giants had a really great draft, and the Jets had a, a fantastic draft. I think both teams had a great draft. They both plugged the holes they needed to plug. They both made very smart moves. I'm very glad that the, the Jets did not bite on the Debo Samuels apple that a lot of people thought they were going to try to bite on. Uh, they drafted young. They drafted players that they needed. Uh, obviously, with the wide receiver, the cornerback, getting the players that they needed and what they needed to do. I think both Joe, Joe Shane and Joe Douglas um, in, in uh, the New York GMs both did a really great job of doing what they needed to do. I think the biggest story of the draft was the fact that they didn't that the Giants did not pick up exercise Daniel Jones' fifth year option, which basically means Daniel Jones is going to have to play for his contract, or they're drafting a quarterback next year. Um, you know, so uh, I think both teams had a really great draft, um, and I'm very, very, very intrigued to see how these draft picks are going to play out because I think both of them really, really got an A plus on the first round and the second, first and second round this year. Queen, your thoughts on the draft and, and which of the New York teams won the draft this year? That? Queen? Okay. Well, um, to piggyback off what you said, Pete, I, I think I agree. Um, both New York teams did uh, phenomenal in the draft this year. I think that I'm surprised that neither of the New York teams bit on the Debo Samuel uh, situation because it seems like a New York thing to do, to get um, a caliber player like that and, you know, give up your future is something that I think these teams would do. But I'm happy that these teams are building towards the future. And you also said um, something really key is that the, um, the Giants did not pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. Um, so, yes, Daniel Jones will be playing for his life, um, his Giants' life this year. But it's already been said that the Giants have been looking for something different anyway. Um, outside of, uh, what's the name, outside of Daniel Jones. So, we'll definitely just have to see. Baker Mayfield, maybe? Uh... Jesus, Jesus Christ, no. We'll take your, you know, we'll take your quarterback before we take uh, Baker listen, Mayfield. Listen, Wilson to Wilson. I'm oh, Zach Wilson open. is a dog, actually, by the way. So. Listen, Wilson to Wilson. I think Wilson to Wilson <laughs> is going to be what you're going to be hearing from the Jets' analysis yeah. for a very long time because, you know, Wilson to Wilson, uh, you know, it's going to be a really good combination. And now we got the sauce. We got mm-hmm. the sauce out in, uh, in, sauce in Jets' green. But, listen, I think um, the Giants made that big, uh, that big pickup uh, I believe it, I believe his name is pronounced uh, Thibodeau, uh, kind of like the uh, Tibbs. Uh, the, yeah, just like Tibbs. I think it's pronounced that. I might be wrong. Um, but picking him up, there were a lot of questions about him, but about his ethic and things like that. But if there's one thing that cannot be cannot be understated, is how dominant that kid is and how great he is defensively. And if the Giants get the player that we saw in college, they got themselves a steal. At a at a at a lower pick when most people were saying that he was going to drop, um, I do want to give a big shout out though to Pittsburgh, picking up, uh, picking up uh, Kenny Pickett, keeping him in Pittsburgh and possibly getting themselves their quarterback of the future. Um, so very interesting pickup there. Uh, also, uh, interesting note about this draft uh, team, 
first time uh, two punters have been selected in the first four rounds of the draft. Jesus. Jesus. But Queen. Tells you how weak this draft was. Right. Queen, your thoughts on the draft? Um, I don't care about the draft. I want to see when they play. So. <laughs> and, okay, well, the last topic, guys, um, Trevor Bauer has been suspended basically for two years from the MLB due to his sexual misconduct charges. Um, He's not in jail yet? Like, come on. Before we even go any further, like, I don't even want to hear anything else. He needs to be in jail, and he needs to be fighting his case like everybody else. And more allegations came out, too, by the way. Well, Another person came forward. Yeah, the problem was the Los Angeles District, the, the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office declined to pursue charges on the initial case that we heard about with Trevor Bauer. That's the only reason why there were no charges. Like with the, the, uh, Unlike the Deshaun Watson case where um, they decided to pursue charges in Texas uh, and they went all the way to a grand jury and then the, the grand jury declined to indict. This didn't even get that far. The district attorney uh, didn't even uh, decline to prosecute the case. They said that they're not moving forward. They were not pursuing charges, which, and I said this to a friend of mine, does not mean he's innocent, does not mean he didn't do something. When a district attorney declines to pursue charges, it could mean, A, they don't think the evidence will hold up, it's not strong enough. They don't think the witness or the accuser can necessarily uh, hold up in a courtroom. Uh, And sometimes in a lot of these assault cases, whether it be physical assault, sexual assault, things like that, there are many, many times where the victims are just not ready to be able to deal with the pressures of being in court, having to testify, having to deal with um, being under uh, under prosecution um, and deposition and things like that. And so uh, there are various reasons why a district attorney could decline to pursue charges that have nothing to do with the accused being innocent. Put him in jail. That's all I got to say. Lock him up and throw away the key. Yeah, he should play another. Now he is appealing. He should not play another professional. Even one accusation is too much. He should not even be playing. So I'm keeping the same energy. I said the same thing about Deshaun Watson. I said the same thing about other people. So I'm a big believer in keeping the same energy. And my energy is this: once you are, you're supposed to be held to a moral obligation as a professional athlete and you need to act as such something is wrong in the story something is wrong in these stories when you have several women i don't care if the da doesn't um take these um charges seriously but the league can make their options and i think that he needs to never play a professional game again since he can't follow professional codes and conducts and it's gonna be very agreed agreed how it's going to be very interesting to see how Major League Baseball's suspension of Trevor Bauer possibly affects anything the NFL does with Deshaun Watson. Because remember, Deshaun Watson has still not gotten any kind of discipline from the NFL, even though uh, with everything that has happened. So he could still be possibly suspended by the NFL. And again, we had 17 women uh, speak out against Deshaun Watson 
no charges were were uh, no charges were pursued by the grand jury. Um, now in Major League Baseball, you had Trevor Bauer, who had one woman, who uh, two women, sorry, who accused him of essentially um, rape and sexual assault. Um, which his his uh, his defense is just rough consensual sex, but accused him of rape and sexual assault. Um, and the district attorney declined to pursue charges. And Major League Baseball came back and said two year suspension. So it's going to be very interesting to see if what Major League Baseball did with Trevor Bauer uh, in any way influences what the NFL may or may not do with Deshaun Watson due to his case. Yeah. Well, good night, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm exhausted. Thank you for having us, Queen. Thank you right. for having Thank you us. For having us. All right. Bye. All right. Later. Bye, Queen. So, um, one of the last things I want to bring up is, um, Mr. Voice of a Generation, you have a show coming up. I do, I do. I've uh, been hard at work uh, promoting it. Actually, uh, was that doing that all weekend? Uh, May t- Sunday, May twenty second. Um, in Richfield Park, New Jersey, we are wrestling. We'll be returning uh, with our third show. Uh, for those of you who were with us in 2021 for our first show, I want to be starting something. In our second show, it was all a dream. Uh, we are coming back in May, May Sunday, May 22nd, from Richfield Park, New Jersey, Knights of Columbus at 106 Bergen Avenue with One Step Closer, our third show uh, of, our, of our existence. Uh, featuring an appearance by AEW superstar, Ring of Honor legend, Impact uh, TNA legend, Jersey All-Pro Wrestling legend, the one and only Jay Lethal uh, will be in attendance. We will be doing a meet and greet with Jay Lethal, and he will be in action that night, as well as holding a seminar that morning. So if there are any uh, professional wrestlers in training or or even just professional wrestlers who want to come to a, a fantastic seminar, um, that morning, we will be holding a seminar. Uh, please reach out to us via email or DM on any of our social media channels. Uh, and we already announced our first match for the show, which uh, is actually sponsored by the Eurosports Show podcast. I am so grateful for the support that this team uh, not only shows me as a member of the team, but also with this endeavor with We Are Wrestling. I am deeply indebted and appreciative of this entire team and, 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 and the support I get from this entire network, the Jabba Tears network and all of our different shows and the support that gets shown um, by everybody in the network, the Jabba Tears uh, podcast and, and so forth uh, and, and how they help out with everything we are wrestling. But uh, the Your Sports Show has decided to sponsor the first match that we announced. And uh, uh, for those of you who are watching live right now, see Dre's reaction. Dre, do you want to tell them, uh, for those of them who may have missed, that first match announcement that you, that we at the show have decided to sponsor. Trish Adora versus Osaint Edwards. That's right. <laughs> Trish Adora versus O'Shea Edwards. And Dre has already said he will be standing by the entranceway looking like the trainer from Rocky Three. Throw the towel, man. Uh, I keep saying I thought you liked Trish. Apparently, I love no. Trisha Dora. I love Trisha Dora. And I spoke to Trish actually about this match. She is super psyched for this match. O'Shea is super psyched for this match. And I bet he is. Actually, <laughs> you know, 
It's funny. This is actually the first two main events in We Are Wrestling history actually coming together. Uh, Trish was involved in our first main event against Darius Carter at Wannabe Starting mm-hmm. Something. And O'Shea was involved in that absolute war of a main event. Man. And it was all a dream. By the way, if you have not seen any of our shows live or caught any of the footage, log in and get a membership to titlematchwrestlingnetwork.com and sign up for $9.99. Catch all of the We Are Wrestling action alongside all the great action from Battle Club Pro, uh, Mission Pro Wrestling, and everybody else on the Title Match Wrestling Network. And but I believe Jobber Slam, the first Jobber Slam is on there too. So. Yeah, there we go. Jobber Slam is running. Listen, I am, listen, once May 23rd hits, once the show is over, I am so ready for Jobber Slam 2. I know Shoot. the date was announced at uh, Battle Club Pro's Women Crush Wednesday show. Mm-hmm. Yo, the party of the summer. I don't care what nobody said. If, if you don't know, you need to find out. Jobber Slam 2 is going to be a whole movie. We are but wrestling. Road, that close to going to be a That's movie. crazy, but the road to Jobber Slam is crazy. If you think about it, road to Jobber Slam started at Women Crush Wednesday. Yep. Making a pit stop at We Are Wrestling. Yep, um, yep. And then um, Pretty Hills presents um, Black WrestleFest on Juneteenth weekend. So definitely, definitely, definitely stay tuned to that. because again, Yo, and definitely, um, that's going to be a, group, a big weekend because that weekend Danny. is also, that weekend is also Pro Wrestling Vibes big weekend in Jersey. So yep. you've got, You've got Black WrestleFest during the day, and then we're all coming to Ridgefield Park for 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 for, for wrestling vibe. Right, and then not not to mention Black Girl Magic is that weekend too. On then um, I believe the nineteenth, so the third. I believe um, Black Girl Magic is. Oh, sorry, sorry. Black Girl Magic is, um, I believe, the day before Java Slam as well. So the the yeah, road to Java Slam, be- this whole. Yeah, this whole summer is going to be blackity black black in terms of wrestling, and that's right. You know, we love it. we love it. But one other thing that we're going to be involved in, um, Pete can't share too much about it, but I can speak on it. We at the Your Sports Show um, are going to be sponsoring the Takeover versus STP show at Invictus Pro Wrestling the two days before we are wrestling presents one step closer. And of course, we are sponsoring the side of STP, of course, in the match that we're y'all just y'all just gonna get me in trouble. Y'all y'all just gonna get me in trouble because listen, well, Takeover already rolled up on me today uh-huh. uh, and, and told me, I, I, and I'm gonna announce it here exclusively. Mm-hmm. I will not only be a guest commentator. At Takeover versus STP, I will be sitting at the commentary desk alongside Rob Williams and mm-hmm. Alphonse Stevens, calling all the incredible STP versus Takeover matches. But I have also been anointed the one night only Takeover versus STP general manager for the night. Um, so I will be directing traffic that whole night, and you gonna get me in trouble because they gonna say that I'm biased. No, don't no, don't worry about it. Me and Bougie had a little conversation. Just know, Mr. Bougie, uh, 
we'll have you guys on the show very much soon. So you can talk about your end of, of this discussion, your end of this feud between you and STP, because, you know, STP is family. So, you know, when you start talking crazy that about bodega, STP, That bodega street fight is going to be nuts. Yeah, that bodega. And guess what? That is, we are sponsoring Revron Hunt in that match. Because Bougie had a lot to say to me on Twitter the other day. I had to keep the same energy. So, shouts to the Rev. Whoop his ass, Rev. Whoop his ass. And this is from me, the the, the leader of the Year Sports Show. Pete has nothing to do with this. This is from me. Pete's Year Sports Show, this, his, his, he's not representing the Year Sports Show that day. It's just me. I'm representing the Year Sports Show. My man, let my man's be the GM. I'm a rep the your sports show. And I hope all that all that smack y'all was talking online. I hope you guys are able to back it up. But for the voice of a generation, Pete Rosado, for BK Matt, for the Queen Queen Tay, it is your boy Big Baby signing off. Peace. <laughs>